lips would I know you looked into my eyes could I behold you what do I know of you who spoke me into motion where have I even stood but the soil along your ocean again to the firehouse as you find your seats I'm going to pray Heavenly Father Lord thank you for the chance to be together this morning and worship you in spirit and in truth Lord we declare that you are a great God we declare that we love you God thank you for meeting with us Lord I trust you have something to speak into the heart and the life of every single person here today, including me. God, I pray I would not get in the way of what it is you have to share into any person's life here this morning. We lift the time up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said before, welcome. Thanks for coming to the firehouse. Uh, as Ned alluded to, uh, some of you are visitors, some of you are new, and I've never met you before, and I'd like to just say welcome, and thanks for coming. Um, as I was telling one of you earlier this morning, I just, I think, I, we, I really recognize how much courage it takes for you to walk in the door into a place where there's a lot of people you don't know, and and to, to come to, to hear about God and to hear about Jesus. And so I want to say thank you for coming. Thank you for expressing courage this morning. I want to know that we honor that and we respect that. We thank you. Thank you for coming this morning. Um, yeah, I want to echo that, what Ned said. It was a wonderful time last night. And if any of you are ever interested in um, coming on a Saturday night, man, I just felt like God really moved in the time last night as He, he does usually. And, of course, thanks, Nicole. That was really good. But, um, just a little bit about me. I, I realize I haven't spoken from this stage since I look back, at least according to the files, it looks like in February, because I'm very involved in what we're doing on Saturday night and uh, had other things going on. Um, my name's Greg. Uh, I'm the uh, operations manager employed full-time by the church here. Um, and uh, I'm a deacon. That's part of my role. Um, and I, I get a chance to share with you this morning. Um, and we are in the midst of a three-part series. This is part two about the art of neighboring, as you can see on the screen. Uh, I thought I would give just a little bit of review. It's been two weeks since we uh, talked about this. Rich shared, uh, what is the art of neighboring? If you're new here, you're saying, what in the world is that? Art of Neighboring is actually a book. It's a book written by a couple of pastors here in Denver. And the basic premise of the book is that we need to be taking Jesus' command seriously and literally. And that command is love your neighbor 
as yourself. It follows that in that command, when Jesus said neighbor, he at least meant neighbor in terms of the person who lives next door to you. I think it meant neighbor and it means more than just next door, but it does definitely mean neighbor. And in this culture that we live in, where God has placed all of us, there seems to be a breaking down of bonds between neighbors. And so that's why we're talking about it. And two weeks ago, Rich talked about three reasons why we Christians struggle in meeting our physical neighbors, which this probably applies whether you're a Christian or not. And those three reasons are a lack of understanding, a lack of time, and a lack of trust. And Rich talked quite a bit about that lack of understanding, which is, is great, and helped challenge me. And today, this part two, we're going to talk about the lack of time and sort of focus on why does a lack of time keep us from, from getting to know our neighbors. So, the first thing we're going to do is to work. There it is. Or did you do that? You did it? Yeah, here's that command. Second command is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Next slide. <laughs> There's those three struggles. I should have been here. I'm a little behind on this. Alright, we'll go to the next slide, Dale. Here's our chart. Who remembers this chart from two weeks ago? And if you don't remember this chart, you're probably going, what is this chart? <laughs> So the idea behind this chart is that if you took sort of a normal, gridded street neighborhood, put yourself at the middle, and you would think that you have neighbors next door to you on both sides, on the left and the right, and then you would have three neighbors directly across the street from you, and then three neighbors who live behind you, maybe across an alley or across a fence. And so then what we did with this chart was we said our goal is to write down names first. First, we try to put the name of these eight neighbors that live around us. First and last name, if you know it. And then, second, you write down some general information. What do you know generally? Where they work? You know, something they're interested in? How many kids they have? Their kids' names, maybe? Those sort of things. That would be the general information. And the third thing we would write down would be maybe something that's a little more personal or in-depth. Like, do they have dreams? Do they have desires? Is their goal? How do they feel? Those sort of things. Um, and so I want to ask you the questions. Has anybody been successful in learning some more names in the past couple of weeks? Anybody? Anybody? Don't be shy. Don't feel bad if you don't raise your hand. Anybody learn some more or learn some more information about people? I see there's a few who've done that, and that's great. And so I thought I would show you my little map. Just as a way of saying, here's what this could look like. So go to the next slide, Dale. You say, that's not the same diagram. <laughs> well, I like to be very pictorial and graphic, and so I, I took the liberty of changing the diagram because of where I live and recognizing that that, that square doesn't necessarily apply to everybody. Um, and so this is what mine looks like. And so you say, what's going on in this picture here? Oh, go backwards. Um, we, have a, we live on a street that's it's kind of like a cul-de-sac, and at the end of it is a park. And so we oftentimes go with or send our kids down to this park that's just a couple doors down to play. And we sort of realize that, sure, there's neighbors that extend all around us on all sides, but we'd like to know the neighbors who we're walking in front of their houses or sending our kids in front of their houses as we go to the park. 
Um, and so we've tried to make an effort since we moved in, and then more recently too, here as we've been going through the series, we made an effort to try to say, who are these people and what have, what have we learned about them? So we can go to the next slide, and this is how I've filled it in, and you can see I don't, uh, uh, I don't have all the information filled in on all of these. I have a little bit about some of them. A couple of them, I, I, I only know their last name, and, and I would confess I used property records in some point. Well, one of them, they have a sign out front that has their last name on it. That's how I know their last name, but I haven't had a chance. And, you know, to be fair, those of the people on the block, those two are the people who over the past eight months as we've lived in this house, we have not seen come out. They seem to be a little bit more quiet, and so we're going to have to make a little more effort to go get to know those people. Um, but here you can see we've, we've started to get to know people and, and starting to find out about their dreams and their information, that sort of thing. But, of course, um, we don't have it filled in. But I just wanted to give you that as an example of this is what you do and this is how you go along. So, as we think about being loving neighbors and loving people. What is the big idea? What's the big idea that I want you to come away with today? We want you to come away with from the series. Well, it's this. In order to take the great commandment, which is love your neighbor, in order to take that seriously, we need to create space in our lives to build relationships with those who live near us. And what is that space? How do we make space? When you talk about space, what is that? And I think one of those elements, Dale, we can go. Next slide. Time. As I said, the biggest obstacle to taking the grand, great commandment seriously, I think, is time. And so, as I thought about this and I was preparing for this, I thought, wow, I could go and get a bunch of statistics about how do Americans, how do we spend our time? You know, what, how much time do we spend on the television or working or those kind of things. But I thought, I think we'd be better served if we look at the example of Jesus. And say, in Jesus' life, were there ways that he showed how to be a good neighbor or instructed us some practical things we could do for, for taking our time seriously as far as it goes with loving our neighbors? And so there's three examples that I want to point out this morning from the life of Jesus. The first one is the story of Mary and Martha. It comes from Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. And if there's a Bible near you, you're welcome to open to that. Or you can just listen to me. The passage is too long to put on the screen. It says this, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all of the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed. Or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. See, Martha, in this story, Martha is so busy, she misses out on what is most important. So who here in this room, just be candid for a moment, who here struggles with being busy? It's okay, you can raise your hands. There's a lot of us. That's almost everybody. 
right? And I think for those of us who struggle with being busy sometimes, our dilemma is bigger than just having a shortage of time. It's a problem of establishing priorities in our life. See, what Jesus was saying to Martha is that she had a tendency to let urgent things crowd out important things. So now, I want to put up here on the screen this, this chart. Yeah, I heard a groan. Yeah, me, me too. Anybody who has an MBA probably has like, dealt with this in their classes, right? I had a, a boss who loved to put this up and, and lecture the company about where we need to be as a company on this thing. But let me explain it. For those of you who've never seen this chart before, um, this is the four quadrants of time management. Quadrant one, two, three, and four. And you can see those things on the top, quadrant one and two, are important. And those things on the bottom are unimportant. Whereas those things on the left are urgent, and those things on the right are non-urgent. And so as we think about life, and we think about activities, and think about the way we choose to spend our time, you can take the things, all of the things you do, and this is a little exercise, you could drop them into these quadrants, right? And I'm not going to go into a lot of examples of what, what fits into what, necessarily. But I have a question for you. In light of this idea of loving our neighbors, in light of that being the great commandment, where do you think that it falls? Where do you think neighboring falls on this? Well, you might think it's quadrant one, right? You go, oh, that's really important, and it's urgent. Well, is neighboring really urgent? I don't know if it's really urgent, because it's not necessarily a series of responses. Sometimes there's an emergency in neighboring, and you have to deal with it, but neighboring is a regular pattern of interaction. It's not a series of emergency responses. And so we go back to our story about Mary and Martha, and Jesus says, you are worried and upset about many things, few things are needed. Mary has chosen what is better. I think he's saying, hey, Martha, you're missing the things in quadrant two because you're so focused on the things that are in quadrant one. Now, is, are, the, are the quadrant one things bad, necessarily? No, I don't think so. I think they're good. But I think when we fill our time with urgencies, we miss the opportunities. And so how do we limit the things that are in quadrant one? In quadrant three, in quadrant four, right? If we're trying to live in quadrant two and some things, how do we limit those? Well, we have to learn to say no to good things so that we have the margin to say yes to great things. And I think if we can do this, if we can think this way, we can become imitators of Jesus. The second example, I think, from the life of Jesus is the story of the bleeding woman. That's from Mark chapter 5, verse 21 to 36. If you're, if you're a fast flipper or you can scroll quickly on your smartphone, you can get there or I'll just, again, I'll just read it to you. <clears throat> the story is a little bit longer. I apologize, maybe I should take a sip of water before I go. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, named Jairus, came to him, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and lived. 
So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. So here's Jesus, and he's going on what's probably a quadrant, importantly, quadrant one thing, going to help this girl who's dying, urgently dying. And this crowd is following him and pressing around, and there's all these distractions, and he's on a mission, it seems, to go there. But the story goes on. And a woman was there in the crowd. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you? His disciples answered. And yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now see, the story goes on, and this guy's daughter dies because Jesus didn't get there in time. Right? But Jesus stopped. He was on this mission. He was on this path. There was this urgent thing. And he had the time and the pattern to stop and take care of something that was important but was it urgent? Remember what it said. She had been bleeding for 12 years. What was another 30 minutes? What was another hour? What was another day? But he stopped because it was important. See, Jesus kept a pace of life in which he had time to be interrupted. Can the same be said of us? We're, are we living at a pace that allows us to be interruptible? So, go back in your mind to those quadrants I had up there. See, Jesus' life was not feverish. He had time for people, and he had time for conversations, and he had time to stop and help, even when it wasn't urgent. See, he not only told others to live in quadrant two, like he told Martha, he actually lived in quadrant two. And we need to be imitators of Jesus on this. The third example from Jesus' life is really a story that he shared. It's the parable of the sower, it's from Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 15, and a lot of you are familiar with this. And, and I'm not going to read through the, in the interest of time, I'm not going to read through the whole story. I'm just going to summarize it for you. It, it gives this parable about a sower who casts seeds out, and then what is the product? There's four different products of where that seed falls and what happens. It's the same seed, and it falls. And, and, and really the meaning of the parable is that the good news goes forth and lands in somebody's life and then that somebody's life creates a reaction and there's a growth pattern from the word and the good news. And so the four things on there in the parable, there's seed that falls on the path and it's eaten by birds. And then Jesus interprets that at the end of the passage and he said, this represents those who hear the good news but the devil intervenes. The second type of seed is that that falls on rocky ground and it withers. It starts to grow, but it withers because it has no moisture. And Jesus said, that's like people who have no root. They hear it and they get excited. They have no root and they fall away when they get tested. 
and they face trials. The third one is seed that falls among thorns. And those weeds, those thorns, choke that plant as it grows. And Jesus, the, the quote from the passage, he says, this, this is, those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. And then the fourth one is seed that falls on good soil, and it grows. And he says that's like people who hear the good news, they believe it, and they persevere into multiplying into other people's lives. And so as we think about this parable, the third seed, the one that falls on the rocky soil, it didn't produce because it was choked out by weeds. And I think this applies pretty clearly here. If we don't clear out the thorns in our life, we won't mature. And I think this applies not only to neighboring, I think it applies just in general to our spiritual life in other ways. Some examples of that would be spending daily time reading the Bible. It's a question you could ask yourself is, are you making space for this in your life? Another way is in serving, and I'm talking about sacrificial serving. It means not only when it's convenient, but also when it's inconvenient. What about small groups, or a commitment to others, or spending time investing in the lives of other people? So weeds can grow and choke that out as well. See, if we're not making time for these things, much less for neighboring, we're inviting the weeds of the world to invade and, and choke us out. So what would it take to change the pace of our lives in order to be more available to those who live next door to us and on our streets or on the cul-de-sac? What would it take? Well, I put together some questions that you could ask us. This is sort of a sample self-evaluation guide here. I think that's the next slide. Um, this would be some things you could ask that might help you declutter your life. And, and we probably could come up with 100 questions, right? But I thought I'll come up with about six. Um, and I think all of these are things that I've had to engage with in my own life somewhere along the line. And maybe there's things, these will relate to you. Um, and maybe there's other things, and, and that's fine. And again, I think before I even go into these questions, realize as we ask these questions, we're not saying these things are bad. We're saying that the pursuit of these things to the absence of making margin to reach out to other people and to invest in them that's where there becomes a problem. So here's some questions you can ask. And not necessarily thinking always the application is you need to eliminate something. Sometimes it's you're just going to have to trim back. So the first question, how many Netflix shows do I regularly watch? <laughs> right, I would have said television, but does anybody really watch television anymore? Right? Who wants to sit and watch all the commercials? Right? We either have a DVR or we have Netflix. Right? How many do you watch? You know, my wife and I, we, we have a few that, that we like, but I, I would say we've, we've sort of learned to... There's one point in time where we maybe we're watching too, more and too many and we sort of step back into a, a few and only as we fit them in and you know, there's not this sort of obsession. I've got to watch this, I've got to watch this, I've got to watch this. That's something you could think about. Second question you could ask, how many hours per week do I engage in a lonesome hobby? Of that lonesome hobby, I think of somebody with like the bottle and they're like building, you know, like the little model ship inside the bottle. <laughs> Sounds really lonesome, right? Okay, I mean, does anybody do that? I don't know if anybody does, right? But you could think about lonesome hobbies. Maybe it's, it's uh, I don't know, computer games or, you know, there's probably a lot of options there. But when you're lonesome, there's a value to that. There's a value to having your mind and separate and 
undistracted and focused and you might be able to pray and think about things and work through things with God, there's an option. But how many hours do you spend doing that? Is it too many? I don't know. Third question you could ask is, what's my commitment to my kids' activities? Like sports? And are there options that could maybe trim down the time commitment? I think that's fairly self-explanatory. I think it's good to have kids involved in activities. and That's how we grow and learn. But sometimes you can look at your life and say, this is taking too much. We need to step back. Fourth question we could ask, this applies to you, those of you who are working. Do I regularly work overtime at the office out of necessity? Or because my colleagues do? Maybe even in necessity, there's an evaluation to be had there, but if you're doing it because the people around you are doing it, and it's taking away from the margin that's in your life, maybe we should, we should rethink that a little bit. The fifth one, this one hits pretty close to home to me. Uh, am I too immersed in home projects? Some of you know, I, my wife and I used to own a 100-year-old home. We've been in it for about seven years, and we joked it was actually just on Tejon Street, and, and we called it the Tejon Projects. Because it was a project after a project after a project after a project. And um, we ended up moving, and there was a variety of reasons why we moved. But one of those was as we looked around, we said, this is, a, this is almost a never-ending stream. And as we looked to the future, we said, these projects are going to just steal from our margin. They're going to steal from our time. And so we sold that house, and we moved to another house that, that doesn't have projects, just sort of the regular maintenance, which takes up enough time but I think I realized I was too immersed. Maybe even to the point of being obsessed about my home. I was telling Elsie this morning, we, we've learned since we've moved out about eight, ten months ago, we said, that house was actually kind of like a millstone tied around our neck. But we love that house. We loved our millstone. We loved it. Oh, this is a beautiful house. We love it. And now that it's not ours, we go, that was going to drag us to the bottom, I think. <laughs> So that's just being honest. And that was our situation. And of course there's value in home projects and there's good that comes from those. But it's something to think about. <clears throat> then here's another, maybe my last question, and obviously we could go on and on, is do I purchase and own things that increase my sense of participation obligation? For example, boats or campers or season ski passes or those sort of things. And again, not that those are bad. It's not bad to own a camper. It's not bad to go skiing. It's not... But think about that idea of I'm purchasing things and then as I purchase those, it makes me feel obligated that I need to spend my margin engaged in that activity. And there could be good reasons to be engaged in that activity, but if it's taking away from your margin and your opportunity to obey Jesus and loving your neighbor, it's something I think that's worth considering about. So I think you get the idea. There's many more questions we could ask. But these things that Jesus talked about, life's worries, riches, pleasure... These things choke out our time and they can keep us from being obedient to Jesus' command to love your neighbor. And I think at this point I really want to say something, just confess to you guys to this. I, I ain't perfect. Is my life free of clutter? Is my family, are we free? No. In fact, even this week it was brought to my attention that there are some things in the area of time management in my life that maybe I need to take a look at. Some things I need to be careful about. And that's hard. But I'm convinced it needs to be a constant 
reevaluation process. And so I say this because I don't want to come to you with this message and have you think that I'm coming from a place of achievement. Remember, my chart isn't full. And even if it is, there's more houses to meet, more people to know, more things to know about those people. And so I share this message of decluttering. I share it not coming from the place of greatest strength. But I feel like I'm coming, I hope, from a place of growing out of weakness towards strength. And it's humbling to share that way with you guys. But I think that's not what we're about here at the firehouse. I don't now and I won't ever stand in front of you as somebody who's achieved glory, somebody who's achieved perfection. I'm just a broken and imperfect man with an imperfect family living imperfectly in my neighborhood, trying to just just like you obey Jesus' commands. Because I love him. And I hope I hope maybe you can take encouragement from that. So, you get the idea. That you're probably saying, okay, Greg, I can take some steps. I could, I could start decluttering my life and that takes some time to start weeding things out. Is there anything simple, maybe something that's not intensive that I could just do? Some way I could even just start meeting my neighbors? Do you have some practical tips? Well, good news, I do. Here's some. And some of these I've done, maybe some I haven't. Some things to try. I don't have a slide for this. But I'll just tell you some ideas. First one is pretty simple. Take a walk in your neighborhood. And you'll get some exercise, too, while you're doing it, right? Take a walk. Be seen. You never know who you'll bump into. Second one would be hang out in your front yard some, or mostly, not in your backyard. Pull out those chairs. You know, I actually put this into practice a couple weeks ago, and I got to meet the neighbor who just moved in across the street. It was really cool. Another thing you can do is smile and wave. I don't care if you've lived in a house 20 years and you don't know those neighbors. If you see them and they drive by... Smile and wave. You've got to start somewhere. If you see somebody outside, introduce yourself. You know, it's okay to be late. This happened to me with another neighbor. I was in a hurry. I came out to my car. I had a meeting to go to. I saw him across the street and I said, You know what? It was two minutes to go over and introduce myself and learn their names. It was worth being two minutes late to that neighbor, to that meeting. So you can do that. Another thing is be aware of and respond to situations of adversity. And that could take a lot of things. Our our example, I won't go into details, but we got to know our next door neighbors really well the day the police showed up. (laughs) Now we could have hidden and kicked down our windows and what's going on? But we engaged. It gave us a chance to engage with our neighbors and found out this thing that was going on and this really hard situation. We got to learn to pray for them and understand their struggles and make a connection with them and love them. It was was great. So watch for that. Watch for adversity. Another idea that maybe takes a little more work is to think about holding some kind of event in your home. But maybe it doesn't have to be a big deal. Uh, And an idea we have, for example, is we have a, a big apple tree in our backyard, and this is the year it's making apples, because that's a lot of apples. We said, you know what? Let's when those things get ripe and we start pulling them off the tree, let's have a party. And you have to be a party just to a get together. We'll go 
knock on doors and, and hand a little note to everybody and say, hey, come over to the house on such and such time and we're going to peel and core and slice those apples and you can take a bag home. And that will give us a chance to, hopefully, we don't know who will come, but we're planning to try that out here as the, as the apples come get ripe. And maybe you can have some ideas in your neighborhood of some things you could do. Another idea coming up on that is uh, a couple months here is October 31st. I'm not going to comment on the holiday that falls on that day. In our family, we don't love it, and we don't quote-unquote celebrate that holiday at all. But, we get our kids into the costumes, Star Wars costumes, and firefighter costumes, or the, you know, whatever, and we turn our porch light on, and we get a bowl of candy, and I go out with the kids, and Christine stays home with the little ones. And we do that. Not because we care about anything that has to do with that holiday or that day. But we've made that choice to do that because we want to be on the doorsteps of our neighbors and have them on our doorsteps so that we can interact with them. So that's something to think about too. And I think you could go on and on and there's all kinds of examples and maybe that gets the wheels turning for you. So um, I'm just looking forward to, I think, as we, as we go on to part three next week and on into the fall, I'm looking forward to doing this with you guys, to getting to love our neighbors better and I would love to see the Firehouse Church reaching into all of these different neighborhoods and where everybody lives. I think it's going to be great. Let me pray and we'll close. Thank you, Jesus, for being, uh, being so wise in answering that question about the commandments of which are the greatest. And God, we take it seriously when you said, love your neighbor. And God, we, we want the love of neighbors not to be a box-checking or a box-filling thing, even though we know that that's a good exercise and a good way of, of being accountable and keeping track and even just remembering names. God, we want to love people because that's what you asked us to do. Think of a verse my daughter shared with me this morning. It says, that we, we need to... We obey you. We obey your commands because we love you, God. We don't do this so that you'll love us. We do this because we love you. God, help us to hold that in our hearts and our lives and put that into practice as we go off into our weeks and into the fall. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for coming this morning, everybody. Uh, if I haven't met you and you're new or been here a while and you've never met me, I'd love to meet you. Um, have a great Sunday and we'll see you next week. Rich will be sharing on part three of the series. Thanks.